passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. And with that, we are live. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. What's up, John? How you doing? I'm doing good. All hot right. outside. Very hot outside. You been out today? Um, yeah, I have. It's hot. It's also um, like really bad air quality. It's awful. It's awful, man. You just come out. You just walk and it's just, uh, yeah, it's gross. It's really terrible. Gross. Like it's, 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 you know, I have these like warnings in my phone warning about health risks just being outside. So we're at an air quality of five, which I suppose is just kind of medium right now. But, um, you know, how are we supposed to enjoy the rest of the summer with like shitty air outside? What's going on? You know what way? If it's not one thing, it's the other. So you just kind of have to take the plunge and realize that, hey, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Just bring on the, the gas mass, you know, fully oxygenated air tanks. Maybe uh, maybe it's like breathing in the spooky dust. Spooky dust. Ah, reference to... I'm caught to up. I'm all set. A reference to, of course, the subject of this week's... Rewind away, GCW run, Ricky run, spooky dust. Ah, love me some spooky dust. Yeah, that was quite the review. It was nice. I went, uh, I went for a walk this afternoon. I, I, uh, I got a slice of pizza and just sat out on this, uh, just out on this patio, listening to uh, you describe uh, scar tissue being uh, p- blood painted onto boards and. Scar tissue, 
um, vomiting up your omelet. It was it was wonderful lunchtime listening. Oh, it, it's not a review to listen to as you're eating. Uh, it's certainly not a wrestling show to watch while you're eating, which was a mistake I made. But um, yeah, do check that out, everybody. Well, everybody, if you want more of The Great Way Ting, Thursday, MCU Later is coming your way. What if? What is the subject matter this week for What If? Ooh, it's an Avengers murder mystery. Oh. Where uh, I watched the episode already. I actually, actually really enjoyed it. it. Basically, I don't want to spoil it for people, but, you know, if if you do watch it, it, it it's very much tied into Phase 1 and really reimagines Phase 1, asking the question, well, what if... What if somebody got rid of the Avengers before they became the Avengers? So um, I I really quite enjoyed it. And I'll be talking about it not just with WH Park, but Grapple Spotlight's J.P. Houlihan, who I'll be doing a podcast with for, for the first time. He's a big Marvel fan, evidently. Big fan of MCU later, evidently. So I look forward to talking all about it with him. Uh, also dropping on Thursday will be uh, Bushby and Thompson's latest wrestling adventure, going back to... NXT TakeOver New Orleans, which I guess qualifies now as a classic event from the historical year of 2018. Um, a lot has happened since. So A lot has. It is quite yeah. the time when you look at three plus years uh, in history. Yeah, that's right. All right, cool. And then Friday, I'm out of here, but Way will be joined by Kate from Montreal with Rewind to SmackDown and Rampage. And then Sunday night... WH Park is with Andrew Thompson for Post Pro Res. So go check out all of that. And if you have not listened to it yet, Rewind Away, a very uh, well-received episode, I believe, with John Pine, our espresso executive producer, joining Way for the entire duration to give uh, quite a lot of info regarding Game Changer Wrestling and their show from February of 2020, headlined by Ricky Shane Page and Nick Gage in a uh, in a Greco-Roman contest. It was uh, just... Uh, you know, an audience quietly sitting back, clapping at the beautiful holds and counters between Ricky uh, Shane Page and Nick Cage. Yeah, a lovely, um, you know, battle of fisticuffs, um, a very gentlemanly um, uh, scrap, I shall say. All of that can be found at postwrestling.com as you can also find all of the latest news and we will talk about uh, some of it uh, off the top here including some covid news starting off with pat mcafee who missed his his uh his talk show today did call in and informed everyone that he had a fever of 104.5 that is alarmingly high like that is to me the upper limit of a fever that you're maintaining without like hospitalization like 104.5 that would be worrisome i've never had a fever that high i think i've hit 104 maybe is the the absolute limit i have ever had a, a fever it's very scary and very concerning especially with the knowledge that he is fully vaccinated yep so it's a reminder that you know um despite i think you know it's it, you started to think about what would have happened if he wasn't vaccinated um but you know, despite all this, it's it's still very much uh, there are breakthrough cases that can occur. It, it is not a hundred percent effective vaccine. It is you know something like ninety something percent. But uh, unfortunately, Pat was one of the few that were not covered by the that percentile. Yeah, I mean, he announced after the show that he had tested positive. So I mean, 
he'll be off SmackDown, so we will see what they do in his place. But obviously, we wish a full recovery for uh, Pat McAfee uh, during this time. Uh, if, if there was some good news in it, he did say that his uh, co-workers in the studio and his family have tested negative. So that's at least a, a good part of this story. Kenta, meanwhile, announced that he had just gotten over COVID. He hasn't wrestled since the Tokyo Dome show last month, and he said that all he had was a fever uh, and lost his smell, but says he's totally fine now and recently had a negative test, so I would imagine he's going to be back imminently, but this is, I think we're seeing a lot uh, a lot more cases that are popping up way, and I, I don't know what the answer to all of this is, but I think that there is uh, this collision of people that are feeling that we are pushing through that we're moving past it but at the same time it's uh it's still concerning and i don't see things being uh, dialed back either so i i don't know you're trying to be optimistic here but it just seems like we are seeing so many more cases and they're directly going to be impactful in the industry that we're covering absolutely yeah um and all of this as you know we we feel like we're celebrating so many like i don't know so much excitement in the world of pro wrestling so many people making plans to go out to watch pro wrestling already certain some movie studios are are pushing back the release of movie dates and man you know it's it would be shitty to think if if uh, we would have to dial back some of these attendances and 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 these planned shows that are scheduled right now for pro wrestling so uh yeah hopefully hopefully it doesn't get worse than this I want to talk uh, for a few minutes about this story that came out. Um, this was, I guess, Monday night. So NXT held tapings on Monday and Tuesday. Their uh, last night's show and the following two weeks, they're going to be taped episodes. They'll be back live on September 14th. And on Monday night, uh, a reporter, Trent Osborne with Bodyslam.net, uh, was was removed from the tapings uh, for putting out uh, results. So... Uh, Trent Osborne had had put out um, a pretty significant uh, or at least lengthy statement kind of, you know, going through like his his point of view of what he was doing, how he was reporting this. And as well, like the policy or lack thereof that a person attending an event at NXT is is privy to. There is no NDA. This is not an, an event where it is a closed set. And I think this is not the first instance of this because at the tapings, when they did the sci-fi tapings back in July, uh, there was a correspondent there with the Wrestling Observer site that was also uh, removed from the tapings. So it's kind of put this uh, under a focus now of like what NXT is attempting to do here. And it seems like they're trying to have it both ways where you want to have an audience and you want to fill out your, your venue with fans, but you're taping these shows and don't want results to get out. And I just don't see how you can have both. And it seems that they're like, on the one hand, if, if you are so adamant on these results, not getting out, then I think that needs to be pretty much done up front. And if you're going to go to the extent of NDAs for wrestling fans to attend a wrestling show, then that's kind of on you that you've got to go to that that level. And the alternatives are you don't have fans at these tapings and or you put your extras into the crowd like you did throughout the pandemic. And we saw like it was very, very rare that anything got out from these 
closed sets, whether it was AEW or Ring of Honor or WWE or all of the other promotions that were taping behind closed doors. And this just seems to be an attempt to that I think is just a misguided one to begin with of what these of what spoilers ultimately mean when they're out there. And we'll get into it. NXT this week, it wasn't a, a large amount, but it was higher this week than the live show last week. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just seems to be another case of um, what is ultimately amounting to some pretty bad PR, I would say, for this company, at least, uh, you know, in relation to its hardcore fan base on the Internet, which at this point for NXT especially feels like it's um, it's it's probably a whole lot more than they realize. But uh, I totally agree. You know, it, they're completely within their rights to um, not want spoilers going out. Um, so just get people to sign NDAs. As they walk in through the door, you know, you have to make it explicit. The, 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 the rules seem to be at least their justification for kicking this particular reporter out was that it stated early, like in the opening graphic, when people attend the show that you cannot take photos and videos. And somehow this uh, for this particular reporter um, was enough justification to kick him out for tweeting and writing about like um, um, results. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's an abuse of power. And again, just kind of uh, another bit of bad PR for the company. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to lump it into that message that they would play at the and I haven't obviously been to a house show recently, but they would play they always play these at the beginning of the show. And at these same house shows, I mean, they have a WWE specific hashtag for the city and will Put your tweets up on the screen. So the idea that that somehow translates to uh, posting results, uh, I think that's a really weak argument. And again, I I think it's I think it's just a a power play on their behalf. And at, at its core, I just think like it really th this word gets out, and it just feels like a atmosphere you're not really interested in going to. Where it's like we are NXT. Except for that guy and that guy and you, what are you doing on your phone? Like, you don't even want to bring your phone out at at one of these shows because you're afraid someone's got their eyes on you of what you're doing. It just does not, can, to me, translate to like an enjoyable experience, much less for a reporter who, I'm sorry, he's doing his job. And as he outlined there, like this is information that people are seeking out. And I think a lot of sites are pretty clear cut when they post stuff like that. They're clearly labeled and it's to the, the reader if they so choose. And what's funny about all of this is literally as we're speaking, Rampage is being taped and you know those results are going to be everywhere for 48 hours, as will most weeks of Rampage because it's going to be rare that that show is live on Friday nights. Sure. Yeah. And I think you could see the result in these ratings. I don't think it means a thing. Um, but I don't, you know, that to me, it seemed like a really bad trade of like continued bad PR for ultimately little gain in ratings, if any. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, like we can, uh, go on to the numbers NXT on Wednesday night or sorry, on Tuesday night doing 685,000 viewers, 205,000 in the 18 to 49 demo coming from a uh, Brandon Thurston. So up 5% in viewership, two and a half percent in the demo. So again, not, not gigantic gains. And they were uh, coming off of takeover and raw on Monday night, um, did a great number. They did 2,067,000 viewers and 
it was their second largest viewership of the year. This was higher than the night after WrestleMania, doing uh, 864,000, a .64 in the 18 to 49 demo. And, um, you know, even the third hour, um, the third hour was higher than any of the hours of Raw last week. So uh, this was a show that, I mean, it, it did very well coming off of SummerSlam. I would say that the WWE does feel hotter now than it did in April coming off of WrestleMania. Like, it seems like they have had a pretty a pretty strong summer with the return of Cena, the return of fans and SummerSlam did generate a lot of interest for people. And I was kind of curious, like raw, there wasn't a whole lot of focus of like the major stars attached to SummerSlam, but it did have buzz on it that led to this number on Monday. There's certainly some talk coming off of SummerSlam with the returns of Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar. And, you know, I, I wonder how many of that audience mm, knew enough about the rosters to not expect Becky or Brock on that show. Uh, but nonetheless, it is a 10-pole show. It is the biggest show they've done since this, the pandemic. And I, I, I understand that there'd be a lot of people perhaps tuning in just to see what the follow-up would be. Did you get to see any of NXT on Tuesday? I did, yeah. It was a it, it was, was an, an interesting right show. Yeah, I think like you get a sense of who are the main uh the main featured players that they're going with and I would say like Ridge Holland is right at the front of the pack of guys that they are certainly behind. It, it looks like Duke Hudson is in for a big role. He'll be taking on Kyle O'Reilly next week. Um and then I guess the big angle was the introduction of Electra Lopez, Carissa Rivera, as the female member of Legado del Fantasma, so that they now have a female counterpart to BFAB on the uh, hit row side. But uh, anything that, that jumped out at you? Maybe the, uh, the Kyle O'Reilly promo with uh, Samoa Joe. Yeah, that was unfortunately pretty bad. Um... Oh, so- sorry, I misspoke. Samoa Joseph, Peter Dune, and Lanite. Yeah, yeah. I know, like, as part of the Undisputed Era, he kind of, like, you know, was, was yeah, he was amusing as sort of, like, this little comedic sidekick, but he really needs to shed that now, and I think he's been trying to. Um, you know, they probably saw an opportunity going back to the Peter Dune thing, and it just didn't work at all. You know, bless the guy, an amazing wrestler, but not very good at kind of being uh whatever he was trying to be you know i i really think that they should rethink their approach about how to push him i mean, I think everybody at least i see him much more like a daniel bryan type you know straightforward ass kicker who doesn't have to like try so hard to be likable you know um so i i think they continue to maybe i don't know figure figure that puzzle out uh, beyond that, I'm you know we we saw the end of the uh, ted DiBiase run for the time being at least in nXt. I was surprised at um, Boa's loss, you know. Um, yeah, it almost I mean, felt like they're um, rapidly moving on from from the the, the whole Tian Sha uh, character, or or at least, I mean, building it to to some kind of um, change in in the character. Because yeah, they had very surprising loss there, where the idea was like Mei Ying was disappointed in this guy. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll see when Maying may finally get in the ring and uh, evolve that whole group. Uh, uh, but beyond that, Carmelo Hayes, you know, looked very good in the win for the NXT Breakout Tournament. So uh, he has not named who he will face for the championship. I mean, would it make any sense if he did not pick the world champion? 
Well, maybe he's got an affinity for the his favorite continent, North America. Yeah, that just just feels. I mean, it makes him look bad. I think if he only goes that low, doesn't shoot um, to the top. On the Ted DiBiase thing, like I, I thought this was like a really good utilization of of an older legend that was brought in. It wasn't the typical like like we saw with all the legends that they brought in, and Randy Orton just just totally humiliated each one of them. It was like DiBiase was brought in. He got to have his, his shine for several weeks. And I think by the end of it, Cameron Grimes was, was helped by it by the end of the day. And they just tied it up in a nice way on Tuesday. I think that's the last we see of him. And he rides off into the sunset. I thought like this was, was a really, it wasn't just show up for one night because he's around and we can use him. It was like this several long, this, you know, relatively longer, a story that they got like two months out of. And I kind of like that Grimes feels like he, he had gotten a legitimate endorsement at the end of it from DiBiase. You know, once they stumbled onto this uh, um, uh, Cameron Grimes uh, to the moon character, um, you know, I, I imagine the ball really got going soon after that to bring in somebody like Ted DiBiase. And not every skit that they did hit, but at the end of it all, you had far more attention on Cameron Grimes than and LA Knight, La Knight, you know, than you probably could have expected. And uh, DiBiase, I agree, was used uh, very effectively. And then Danny Birch was back from his separated shoulder, uh, rejoining that group. They did a, an angle with Timothy Thatcher, taking him out indefinitely after a, a club shot to the throat. And I guess the big news is that they're doing the wedding with Dexter Loomis and Indy Hartwell on the live show on September 14th when they go Huge live. Huge news. The biggest. Yes. The biggest. So, yes. Yeah. That was NXT. It was NXT. You know, it's a show that uh, I, I, I don't feel like we're – it's a show that's fine. <laughs> that's that's what I look for. Two hours and at the end, like, yeah. It's fine. That was really fine. Um, yeah, it was a fine show. That's, that's the best way to put it. I did like the six man at the end. I thought that was, um, they all worked really well together. It was a nice showcase, especially for, uh, Mendoza and Joaquin Wild. I think they kind of get lost in the shuffle, but when they get to go, I think they are, they are two tremendous talents. Hey, no Ilya Dragunov, no Walter on the show. They did announce Ilya for next week, but yeah, no Walter as well. And I think that they typically do that where they hold off somebody um, and I guess they're doing that with Ilya, but that, that to me was the biggest thing coming out of, um, of takeover felt like the bigger thing, even more than, than Joe, uh, and Joe was kind of just out there to get the whole procession of new challengers as well. But yeah, I guess it will be noteworthy, like what they do with Ilya, uh, for, well, they've taped it by now, but whatever they set him up for next week. And if he's going to have some recurring presence on the domestic version, mm. uh, in CMLL news today, uh, the second Mystico is done with the group. Uh, Mas Lucha reporting this, and I guess their site crashed from this news. So uh, if you can uh, keep track of this way. So the second Mystico, Mystico 2, he started his career as Dragon Lee, but then he got the Mystico name. This was about a year and change after the original Mystico went to WWE as Sinkara. So his Dragon Lee name was passed down to his younger brother, who is the current Dragon Lee. So he became Mystico 2. And up until now, he had been champions 
with the original Mystico, who is now Caristico. But now that Mystico 2 is leaving, CMLL has announced that the original Mystico, who is now Caristico, is getting his old Mystico name back. All right. Um, For anyone that wants clarification on this, at Rob Viper on Twitter is volunteering his, uh, his Twitter account to answer all questions about the state of CMLL as another talent has left and, uh, and we will see where he, he pops up uh, for those unfamiliar. Not only is he, he is the older brother of Dragon Lee, but he is also the younger brother of Roosh. So both brothers congratulating him on his uh, exit from CMLL, which has gone through some, some trouble over this, uh, this pandemic period. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm happy for uh, Mystico now, the original Mystico. And uh, I, I don't know, can he put a hold on this? Like, can he lock this in now? You know, I don't want to come back to this two years from now and have to re- re-remember what to call this guy. And I don't think he would want to either. Oh, listen, you stay with CMLL, nothing changes. It's just they, they, ha- they exert a significant amount of control over all of their property. This is like a variable mortgage. You know, like you don't know what you're going to pay. Commit to the five-year term, okay? Just just sign on to, to, to just lock that rate in. Lock in the name for the next five years, please. If you, if you had a variable mortgage over this last two years, it worked in your favor. Uh, not him. I, well, I guess not. But um, I wonder if CMLL on, on their buildings had uh, a fixed fixed mortgage or not. They've I would imagine over... Uh, you know, you're in operation for 88 years. I imagine they've they've paid off. I don't think they're in the mortgage, uh, the mortgage mm. uh, buying business at, at this point anymore. I think they've got their stuff under lock and key. Probably, yes. And uh, final note here before we go on to Dynamite. I just wanted to mention because I did uh, tout these two on, on Monday night. Uh, Kosei Fujita and Ryohei Oiwa, who made their debuts on Tuesday for New Japan. Uh, I've not watched the full shows, but I did go out of my way to watch both of these matches. And surprise, surprise, after four months of training, these two are pretty damn good for two matches. They did draws on both nights. They went 10 minutes. So on the first night, Fujita has Oiwa in a Boston Crab and... Oiwa is just fighting and fighting, and the bell rings, and he's saved, and it's a draw. The next night, it's the tables are turned, and Fujita is in the Boston Crab, and he's got to demonstrate his screaming as the 10 minutes elapse, and he survives. But uh, immediate impressions are that uh, these two in- incredible, uh, just, just selling already, um, two matches deep. I mean, that was already evident. They're just, these are very, very basic matches. You're not going to watch these and just be wowed instantly unless you're watching it under the context that you are literally watching the first two professional wrestling matches of these two guys' careers. And already, I mean, you can see a lot of promise in them. Uh, Oiwa is a bit, he, he's 22 and Fujita is 19. So Oiwa has uh, a bit more size over uh, Fujita, but they're... Wrestling on Thursday and Friday shows as well in the openers. So uh, maybe we're going to get 
two more draws that could very well be uh, possible. But I, I found these matches to be really fun. They're 10 minutes each night, and it, it's a fun little glimpse at, at two uh, potential stars way down the road that you get to see right at the in their very first uh, set of matches. What is the conversation like at the dojo when like they're allowed to add different moves? Wait, you know, like- they don't even have gear at this point. Like they're literally they it's trunks and boots, no pads. They don't even have hair. They don't. They're mm-hmm. not even allowed hair at this stage of the game. Okay, they yeah. were their biggest gift that they were given was they could do rope breaks. That is it. And I I love that theory that. Y- this is an industry where it's like, man, the the sky's the limit of options, but we are putting you in the tiniest box and you have to work within this box to get over. I think I mean, that's like, a brilliant way to introduce these two. Well, I mean, I think and a, lot all the video, alliance. a lot of video games take the same approach. You know, you start off with no weapons. You start off with a creative wrestler who has very limited default options. And as you gain experience points, as you win... You get to add some color to your tights. You get to add this special hairstyle. You might even get to add an earring or maybe even dyed hair one day. Uh, but I'm I'm just curious, you know, like who is in the back there? Is it Liger who's like, today you can do an arm drag? Like, what is that conversation like? We're not ready. And then the day of the ceremony. <laughs> an arm drag, you your, thank you. You get your thank knee you, pads. Oh, knee pads, yeah. All so, right. A long road ahead for uh, Fujita and Oiwa. On to Dynamite at the UWM Panther Arena in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, off the top, they announced, uh, this is worth noting, that they are going back to Miami October 15th and 16th for a live rampage and a Saturday night Dynamite. So this is in October, uh, going back to the James L. Knight Center uh, that they ran back in July. But in October, at least for one weekend, we will be getting a Saturday Night Dynamite way. Back to back. Yeah, games. interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll see um, what they have for that one. It's interesting as well the fact that they're opting to run two nights instead of just tape it all on the Friday night. They're opting to go with back to back nights. I guess they have a lot of confidence in drawing on back to back nights, or they have some big idea for that weekend to draw on consecutive evenings. Sure. Yeah. I mean. Going live, it always adds a bit of excitement, and uh, you probably want to double that gate if you have the opportunity. Do you want to know my uh, today's edition of I Kind of Felt Old? I love it. I, I always need reminders Yeah, okay. of how old I am. Sure, I love it because I, I drag you into this. Like If I was like a few years older than you, I think it would be reassuring, but no, that's you're right. identical, so I'm dragging you into this feeling as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was doing my update today and realizing that 19 years ago today, when Julia Hart was not yet won, SummerSlam 2002 took place. It's like, oh my God. Damn. Like, I remember that day. Like, forget the event. I remember that day pretty clearly. And like, going to a movie theater to watch that. Shawn Michaels' second career began 19 years 19 ago years ago. Wow. All right. Yeah. I, I'm, I, um, I'm officially like, <laughs> I'm officially old, man. Like, so I was in high school then. Like I've, that was half my I life. I was ago. too. Yeah. <laughs> I was, that was half my life ago when that happened. So oh I, God, that don't say that. God, I didn't think about it that way. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, 
So I've doubled my lifespan from that point on till now. Yeah. We'll get into it later. The other uh, on this date was that amazing Arn Anderson retirement speech on Nitro on this date in 1997. So August 25th, a uh, pivotal day for Arn Anderson. Wow. I guess so. That was great. Maybe, and then they ruined son. it with the parody, but that speech was amazing. Oh, his son might be giving a retirement speech after tonight. Well, we started off the show with Orange Cassidy and Matt Hardy. They did comedy at the beginning with the kicks from Cassidy and the delete chance by Hardy. Hardy empties his pockets and he's got money flying everywhere after he gets drop kicked by Cassidy. And Hardy then retrieves the money and playfully kicks at Cassidy and removes a $100 bill from Orange Cassidy's pocket. Uh, He works on the back of Cassidy that prevents him from doing the beach break later in the match, takes a splash mountain from Hardy. Cassidy comes back with a tope suicida and then a high cross into a tornado DDT. And when Matt comes up, his face is just covered. I don't know if it was the nose. I think it was, but there was a lot of blood here on Matt Hardy. There was, um, but it was a case where I thought it was really beneficial to the match. He is you, the heel. You are just in a trance right now after watching four hours that this was nothing for you. This this looked brutal for this guy. Well, well I did not see any light tubes, no spooky dust, um, no forks, certainly. You know, So this was a, full, a whole lot more palatable than that GCW show I just reviewed. Nonetheless, I thought it added to the story of the match of this underdog putting a beating on the veteran here. He shoves down Matt, and then Matt's on the ground or on the mat and Cassidy puts his hands in first. He does the hardy pose on the turnbuckle, puts his hands in the pockets and hits the swanton bomb. He then does the delete chant and he He, goes, he he does the laziest version of the delete chant, which is just (laughs) awesome. Like he's just like waving his arm as if his arm was like limp. And then he goes for a twist of fate, and Hardy blocks it. Cassidy then counters, uh, hits the twist of fate for a big near fall. This whole crowd thought Matt was losing to his own move. The orange punch misses. The leech gets blocked. This match is going a lot deeper uh, than I think people thought. And then Cassidy hooks Matt's legs, puts his hands in his pockets, and sits down for the pin in 947. Um I guess an inventive way to cradle a guy using your pockets for ultimate leverage and a legal version of using the leverage. Didn't have to grab a rope or anything. It is legal. Yeah. At least, you know, in, in jujitsu competition, you're allowed to grab your own belt, you know? So this to me made perfect sense. I don't know how intentional the rundown was, but I thought like these opening segments for this show were all pretty well catered to a first time AEW viewer. That was what I was really curious about heading into the show. How many people are sampling AEW for the first time after the CM Punk uh, arrival? But um, I thought this was a good match to open things up with. It was fun. Matt Hardy, of course, is a very widely recognized name. And Orange Cassidy is certainly somebody who many may have heard about. You know, if you're still a wrestling fan uh, browsing the internet, but you probably haven't seen one of his matches if this is your first time watching AEW. So I thought this match showcased a whole lot of his essential characteristics as part of the gimmick but you know besides that i mean his great in-ring ability at this point orange cassidy i think is is well beyond the criticisms that he's just a a one-note comedy gimmick he can have these lengthy dynamic matches you know full of um i don't know uh beatdowns and then comebacks and 
uh, I thought this displayed a whole lot of that. And of course, you follow this up with Malachi Black, Chris Jericho, and the promise of Punk and Moxley after. So I'm really curious to see how this show holds up. Yeah, this is going to be a, another very interesting number coming off of all of the buzz of Friday, the weekend, and it just seems like there has been so much attention on AEW and where and how big this show is. Like there are some that think like this could threaten their all-time viewership, which should be topping 1.4 million people. So uh, it's interesting like what kind of mindset they went into when structuring this show as well, and also the placement of Punk midway through. So. Uh, Cassidy wins, hopefully Matt Hardy, not seriously injured or anything, because it was it was a fair amount here that he was bleeding for the second half of the match. We go to the dark room, and there is Malachi Black. He sa- states that Brock Anderson is in over his head and offers him a way out. The bell will ring. You can roll out and get disqualified. They later said counted out, which I think is what he meant here. Take 10 seconds and then... Look into my eyes and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Black. You can walk with your dad to the locker room and think about the idiocracy that you were about to commit to. If any of this goes differently, I will take it out on your dad. I'll take it out on Cody, Dustin, and anyone associated with the Nightmare family. A return to like the full-on darkroom promos for Malachi Black. Um, The setting feels very similar, but again... Him cutting these types of promos in AEW feels somewhat different because I, again, understand every single word of what he's saying. He's really no longer just kind of speaking in these abstract, um, I don't know, poetic, cool-sounding maybe uh, styles. But I actually directly know who, who he is referring to, who he is threatening. It's always a positive of promos. Know who they're talking about. Chris Jericho comes out to Judas. Big reception. The fan in the front row who has a sign, keep wrestling alive. Get vaxxed. Yeah. Good. Good time. Good, uh, good words to share on national television. Everyone is celebrating, Jericho says this week, except for him. And the crowd got so sad when he said, except me. <laughs> he failed. He lost to MJF for the third time, and I tapped out. It bothers me so much because I'm Chris Jericho. And he's got this earworm stating in his head, beat MJF, beat MJF. And there was a light chant that followed. He's going to keep attacking MJF until this is over, and he has a proposal. He invites MJF out, but he doesn't come. He suggests one more match at All Out on September the 5th. If I can't beat MJF, maybe I don't belong here in AEW. Maybe I'll just move to commentary full-time and never wrestle in AEW again. So MJF comes out with his custom shirt, his custom long-sleeved shirt. I don't know what it is, but a long-sleeved shirt, it just screams (laughs) asshole a lot more than a normal t-shirt. And I thought it was a really nice touch. It 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 adds a l- touch of class, perhaps, to it. You know, a, a touch of I think a elitist attached to it. I suppose. Like if I if I see you out there, and it's the summer as well, and you're out there with a long <laughs> sleeve shirt, I'm like, what? I don't like you off the get off the get go. I'm not saying I we can't be friends, but you're coming at me from a deficit, and you've got to work your way out of that to prove you're not an asshole. <laughs> so that's what you're entering my world. That's my viewpoint. 
you know, it's a very interesting maybe observation because I I didn't realize uh, there was such uh, discrimination against long sleeve shirts. What if I just don't like being bit by mosquitoes? You know, as I said, like I'm open to your explanation, but you've got to provide that for me because this is this is the level we're starting at. I'm not thinking about mosquitoes. I'm thinking, what an idiot. Well, what if I cut my sleeves off? See, because that then I'm a bigger douche, aren't I? Well, then that 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 is another option. Are you talking like, like just the completely sleeveless? Sleeveless, yeah, like ripped sleeves or even a full on tank top. What's worse, sleeves? tank top? You can get away with nothing wrong with a tank top. Okay, fine then. What about ripped sleeves on a t-shirt? Cut sleeves on a t-shirt. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that would that. That's kind of middle ground. I don't encounter that too often, so that would have to be a in the moment reaction. Mm, okay, you know, I think what it is is okay. The guy who wears the long sleeves, you have two. You have something to hide. You're hiding something. Okay, why else would you cover up those arms? If you cut your sleeves off, I think you're probably just willing to bear too much. You know, you're probably the type that just, like, wants to, like, you're on Instagram showing off everything, you know? Like, your whole entire life, uh, updating people on things when people don't really want to know. You're probably taking shirtless photos, you know? That type of thing. Yeah, that's that's a different level right there. I wouldn't wouldn't associate with you to begin with. So, Uh, all that is to say that once they procure all their ringer shirt orders... If they put this shirt out, this would sell very well in Chicago next weekend. This particular shirt, you think so? You think people would wear this shirt in support of MJF? Yes. Yes. I think Jericho should come up with one when he finally beats him. <laughs> but MJF I, 3, Jericho Blow 1? Yeah, I don't know how much that celebrates Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 3 and 1. Or 1 and, one and 3. This was like a, a takeoff of like Jericho and, and Greenberg with, uh, with his shirt. All the wins he claimed over over Goldberg. And then Goldberg wouldn't work with the guy. (laughs) Yes. So MJF says, it's getting sad. I tapped out faster than someone listening to a Fozzie CD. And I like the fact that he he specified a CD as well. Right. Because Fozzie Spotify playlist, that wouldn't sound as good. He vowed never to wrestle Chris again, but ending his career would be legendary. Which I'm sure it was dawning on him. He's like, damn it. I should have made this the stipulation when I beat him. Instead of taking the guy's music away, I could have taken his career away from him. But we got a pay-per-view to sell. So he was thinking like a businessman. He says, I've wiped the floor with you three times. So he advises Jericho not to take this match. You shouldn't do it. Uh, But there we go. Another match for All Out. And we are going to get the... The retirement stipulation from Jericho, and this will be the latest test of seeing if an audience really does buy into a stipulation. Because on it, on its own, like this should mean something. The question is, does does this mean something to the audience? Will they will they buy that if Jericho were to lose, that this would really be his last match in AEW? And this is a company that's tried very hard to make their stipulations matter, and this is a, traditionally a big one. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm skeptical 
that Jericho is retiring, and I feel like most of the audience watching will have those same doubts. But the art of this feud, the performance of this feud, will be to see how Jericho and MJF can convince us through their promos, and I would assume probably through their social media work, through interviews, that this can actually be Chris Jericho's retirement. And that actually makes me curious. More curious than the match itself is to see how these performers, through their talking, can convince us of, I think, a pretty unlikely outcome. Uh, I think they'll work hard to get there. I think we already see a good deal of logic being put into that possibility with Jericho saying that he'll transition to becoming a full-time commentator on Rampage. It's not simply him saying, I'm going to retire if I lose, you know, the day before your big match against John Cena on SummerSlam. Like, it's, it's, you could tell a bit more care and forethinking is, is being put into this. So hopefully those near falls are going to be pretty loud whenever they occur at All Out. You know, it'd be a cool touch if, because we just did the, the 30th anniversary for Jericho and he did the thing for, for his 25 years at Madison Square Garden, if he actually brought in a couple of people from his history that are just there in the front row and it's, and you don't make a huge deal out of it, but it's like, they've gone to the extent where it's like, you have several people that are there that, you know, are there for a reason. And it just, it makes, it's just about creating doubt for the audience because I think Mm -hmm. most believe Jericho wins at the end. So it's all about playing against that and trying to make even the, biggest doubter believe that oh my god this could be jericho's last match i i feel like they man like lance storm must be the most in-demand name in uh, I, don't, I don't think lance <laughs> is going to the states uh right now he of course would be a perfect candidate for that but i mean jericho's had a long career you could find some people um it'd just be a nice touch because they have done it before with these you know celebratory moments for Jericho that it's just the the audience would just look at that and I, I think it's just trying to create doubt that's that's the whole thing here mm-hmm. yes backstage the Varsity Blondes uh, talk about their combined goal to advance to face the Young Bucks at the pay-per-view tonight and this is done with like the lockers behind them because uh, they're, they're, the they're in university blondes. <laughs> high school they're more portrayed as oh, high school yeah, guys sure. with their like their letter jackets and yeah. the cheerleader um pillman i think continues to just really impress me he sounds great his delivery just sounds very full very much like classic pro wrestling the lucha brothers versus the varsity blondes uh this was an awesome callback they brought up that this is the arena where Super Brawl 2 took place in 1992 when Brian Pillman beat Jushin Liger to become the WCW light heavyweight champion. Really cool. Really cool that that was brought I love that they drop in stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. already, it's just a random line, and it gives you some significance of Brian Pillman wrestling in this venue that, dude, I didn't know, this is a renamed building. I had no idea the UWM Panther Arena uh, used to be, like, this building, dude, this building that they were in tonight was made in 1950. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it was a chance for Shivani and JR to add a whole lot more relevance to their commentary work here. Uh, it, it almost makes you kind of wish Brian Pillman Jr. himself mentioned it in his promo. Um, might not have been aware of it when he cut that promo. I don't know. True, he might not have known. I'm like, oh, this is important. Uh, I should try. So the hard. finals are Friday, uh, meaning that the winners here have to work 
They had to work twice because they were doing Rampage right after this show. There's a rolling cutter by Phoenix onto Pillman, the Jurassic Expresser in the crowd. Pillman's springboard dropkick doesn't fully connect with Penta on the apron. He leaps off anyway. Phoenix does a somersault dive over Penta onto the blondes. And then Penta and Phoenix double-team Pillman back in the ring with kicks and end it with an assisted package pile driver and Phoenix getting the fall in 8 minutes, 26 seconds to set up the Lucha Brothers against Jurassic Express, which will air Friday night. I thought this was a really excellent showcase for the Lucha Brothers. I think Phoenix is just incredible. You know, going into this week, I would have said Jurassic Express were the hottest team in the tournament. But all it really takes is a performance like this from the Lucha Brothers to swing that momentum back between the two of them. So suddenly I'm really interested in the match on Friday. And Oh, God damn it. Whoa, what happened? Oh, Cash Wheeler. <laughs> I'm sorry. Cash Wheeler just tweeted out full close-up shot of his arm that just got ripped to hell. Oh, my God. Disgusting. That's that's oh, your promotion gross. for Cash Wheeler FTR on Twitter. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Sorry. It looked like something just horrific, which it was. I sorry to heard that. Away. I haven't heard that sound from you like ever uh and that's oh i just i just visited oh man that's just terrible. scrolling and that that just hits you like a oh that's really awful oh horrible yeah that should not that should be i'm gonna report him actually yeah to i mean that should be sensitive content you should have to oh. hit view image for that on Ugh. twitter oh oh okay well um i didn't think anything would top the gcw uh review but there you go they preview um, afterwards. They fought off the Young Bucks and Phoenix, Penta, Jungle Boy, and the Luchasaurus. They all showed mutual respect going into their match on Friday. We had a preview for Andrade and Pack, and then it was officially announced that Britt Baker will face Chris Statlander at the pay per view, leading to Jamie Hayter coming out with her new theme along with Baker and Rebel to take on Red Velvet. And it was immediate. Like Jamie Hayter walked out first. Rebel followed her, and then Baker's out third, and this crowd erupts for Baker. And this is going to be very tough, and this, I think, played itself out as such, that they, these audiences, they love Britt Baker. And it's not the role she's in to be the babyface, especially in this program, but it's how this audience reacted, and they're going to have to balance that. Unfortunately, the roster feels short on heels, so they're going to have to start turning some people. But if they want to book some higher-profile matches with, between Britt Baker, I mean, her only options right now are baby faces. So Hater is throwing her around. Velvet hits these two suicide dives. But instead of, like, flying and, like, landing on her feet or be, she just lands on top and crushes her on the ground both times. I think, it's just, I think it's just because she's so light. You know, like typically somebody goes through on like a suicide dive. But yeah, this is like just land and down. It's like, yeah, yeah, this is like a uh, this is like a hard fall. So Velvet gets thrown into the post. They have the heat on her. Velvet comes back with clotheslines. And then when she knocks Britt off the apron, the crowd boos her for knocking down their champion. And then Red Velvet goes for a standing moonsault on Jamie Hayter. And completely overshoots her. And she's just down. And it was like, what, what do you do here? And Hater then got her up 
backbreaker, lariat, and finished her in seven minutes. But this just came to like a screeching halt with this spot. It did not look good and kind of just fell apart here. Yeah, really unfortunate, you know, because I've enjoyed Red Velvet in almost every instance I've seen her. This was clearly not a good outing for her. Um, and I, I think, you know, the people in charge in the back can overlook one instance, but that moonsault was, uh, was not, it's going to make the rounds in GIF form on certain Twitter accounts. And it's going to be, you know, ammunition for that AEW botches Twitter account, I guess. Um, but whatever, like, you know, I would say this shit happens, but this was pretty bad. So I, I hope they, they're able to, you know, do what they need to, to make sure it doesn't happen again. It was bad, and it was, like, even if you're thinking on your feet as one of the announcers, like, it's really hard other than to just call it, like, she overshot the target. Like, that's pretty much all you can go with um, uh, for this. Um, and then they, they went to the finish right after. Dark Order is in disarray. Alex Reynolds blames Evil Uno and Stu Grayson for Paige getting beat up and losing. Uno and Reynolds argue. Reynolds is told he belongs in John Silver's shadow. And Reynolds is tired of this. Just because your name has the number one in it doesn't make you the leader. Hmm. I like this a lot. You know, each member of the Dark Order at this point is established enough that you can start telling these inner conflict storylines. And it's going to allow the team to get a bit more personal, get a bit more emotional with the material that, that they have. And, you know, they're not really just the, the fun comedy guys that we've largely seen up until this point. Uh, I thought today Uno and Reynolds were both really good in the segment. And I look forward to seeing how the others' personalities develop through the story. And then the big segment. This was your, your crossover at the top of the hour. Tony Schiavone is in the ring. And he went into detail on his podcast that this was going to be the idea. Uh, he was going to introduce CM Punk before he came out. And then they made the call to just do it the way that they did. And then they said, Shivani will interview him on Wednesday's show instead. Uh, so before we, uh, before we get to this segment, Way, did you watch the, the Road to Dynamite episode they yeah. dropped last night? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, as I feel like a lot of people did. I imagine that that's probably one of their highest, if not the highest, road to that they probably had. What would you pay on Fight TV if they offered you the Tim Walbert audio track for a pay-per-view? Uh, it makes it hard to follow the wrestling, I will say. You know, if I, I don't know if I would watch a whole show like that, but the occasional peek into the the truck, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. I thought it was like a really clever way to show this. Like we've we've put out the punk, like the clip is there. Everyone has seen it. How do we re-air it in an interesting way? And I thought, whoever thought of this, what a brilliant idea just to give a glimpse into an area you don't typically get to see and just kind of see kind of the magic of live television. And I mean, just watching the truck, like, man, when the pop airs and you've got the guys putting their arms in the air and this guy tim walbert who was a director in wwe for like seven years he's done baltimore orioles games um oh, he's a total pro as you could see with uh his work there and it was just it was a real cool glimpse on what is an incredibly memorable segment and now you had a whole different uh way of looking at it this was uh this was aew going the jackie brown route finding an alternate 
set of eyes to watch the same scene? I really enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, coming from our TV backgrounds, like it, it kind of brought uh, back a lot of wonderful memories of, of doing live TV. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think I really what I admire is just the idea to even use something like that, that, you know, if you're if you're involved in production, that's just something you see every day. It's like about as, I don't know, typical as anything. It takes place uh, like on every TV production. But to use that um, as a way to peek behind the curtain for an audience who has never perhaps been inside a truck or in a production studio, it was wildly fascinating. And I think it gives a lot of people great appreciation for a very typical show, even if a show, even like, I mean, Raw, you know, even like an, an episode of WWE main event. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of work being put into it that does not get that recognition. And that's the goal of the job is to not necessarily have your audience say wow like that's a great cut that's a great dissolve a job is done well when it's not noticeable in a, in a case like that um and in a case when you notice it like in the case of somebody shaking their camera really fast or a lot of cuts and that's that's probably not very good oh, either. dude after this I, I want to be inside that truck and hear those cuts <laughs> Cut the five, yes. cut the four, cut the five, 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 four, 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 five, five, five. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's probably just read, I think he's probably just reading phone numbers. Dude, he's probably like Mr. Testaverde on Saved by the Bell. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a great little bit of promotion. And, uh, you know, I, I, I almost wish that they not only would have been able to show this, but the Tony Khan camera, the Khan cam to see his reaction Throughout that entire segment, that's really what dude, I dude. Go I'd go watch the about. media scrum. I don't think there's a sm there's a second that he's not smiling from the entire fifty minutes of that media scrum. That's probably what was on Tony Khan's face that entire segment. No, oh, I'll bet. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a very cool segment. Um, as I can attest to, it, it, very cool to hear this. The only time it's not cool to hear all of this is when you're live on the show and your earpiece is left open and you're hearing all of this as you're speaking. Then it, then it can be a little tough. Might throw you off, yeah. Sometimes. So he is out. Another monstrous reaction here for Punk. It was obviously the, the big attraction for everybody here in Milwaukee. Uh, Tony asks him, what was the one thing that brought you back? And Punk completely honestly just responds, I can't hear you, Tony. And he asks the question again. There's chance of ice cream bars that turn to CM Punk chance. He mentions Penta, Phoenix, Pillman, Jungle Boy. But before all of those guys, there's one person. And the crowd chants Darby. He is retiring the term voice of the voiceless. Because this place has a voice. And there's people back there that listen. He's here because he watched Darby. And I see you. You are reckless to the point of destruction. And... I look at the young talent and I ask the and people ask the question can CM Punk still go does CM Punk still have what it takes can CM Punk still be the best in the world If the answer is yes it starts with Darby Allen because he would have been my favorite wrestler when I was 15 he doesn't fit the mold of what someone else thinks a pro wrestler can be but he's got heart and he asks can I be the best in the world and the crowd erupts in chants of yes. And Punk is clearly taken aback as he really just softballed this to the crowd. And they went with it. And he says, that's somebody else's shtick. 
you might have to be a bit more patient. And the reaction from this crowd, the, I'm sure there were people that probably fainted from the man's words. He is not here to prove other people wrong. It's about proving himself right. And then he says hello to his wife, April, and that he loves her. And there he is off for his love-in with this Milwaukee crowd that are just going nuts for him. He hugs Tony Schiavone, leads to a giant chant, and felt like the biggest star in this company, which he is today. Which he is, yeah. You know, all in all, this didn't feel like it was a very long segment. But um, in terms of context, I feel like there's a whole lot we can talk about what was done here, whether intentional or unintentional. It didn't need to go, you know, more than 10 minutes or however long this went. This feel like It feels like it even went like five or something like that. But uh, this crowd, I, I, I'm probably assuming, was quite satisfied. He came out here, made the entrance, and put over a number of talents. And CM Punk is the, the type of person now, like, simply coming out here and mentioning a name like Penta. Like mentioning a name like Jungle Boy, that does a whole lot to elevate their statuses. I mean, Britt Baker on Friday, like simply mentioning her name, it 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 it, it brings her up to so many people who have not heard of that name before, but know CM Punk and are curious about what CM Punk has to say. But he spent the bulk of this promo putting over Darby Allen, and you know, I would say what we got on Friday felt like it was very much like an emotional real life conversation from phil brooks the man tonight kind of felt like our first pro wrestling performance from cm punk and i thought he did a great job of putting the focus on alan and you know i look to see how they will further that interaction going ahead because they have about three more appearances you would think if he appears on every tv show from now until all out i can assume that they'll gradually introduce alan's retorts perhaps even get a bit physical prior to the match um, but this feels like it's going at a bit more of a slower pace, and I'm happy. I mean, this whole build has been slow, a, a negative pace, without even mentioning the guy's name being there. So I'm happy with this, but I would also say maybe the biggest talking point coming out of it, again, perhaps unintentionally or intentionally, is the pretty much the confirmation of Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, um, coming his way to AEW and really starting the hype train for that. Yeah, I mean, this is only going to heat that anticipation factor up. Um, like, I, I'll i be interested to see what they do next week for Darby and Punk because I, like I said it Friday, I don't know how much more you really need to do. I think you're either just want to see Punk's first match or I, I don't know what more really needs to be done, save for Punk maybe on the Friday doing more of just... Um, kind of doing a monologue on why I'm back here and what uh, what questions I have to ask. But again, he went over a lot of that in this promo as well. And this was like a different type of promo. Like Punk, when you think about his big promos, it's him commanding the mic and not just kind of playing off of somebody like Shivani here. So this was kind of like a different dynamic, certainly different from Friday. Um, but like I, I think yeah. this pay-per-view has sold itself with Punk's involvement. And this... I. I don't think you have to really overthink this one. It's a match people want. You don't have to complicate things. You don't need um, Bret Hart and Vince McMahon where, you know what would make this to the next level? If we uh, broke Bret's leg. I think that could take this to the next level. (laughs) 
No, I don't think that's happening, dude. Rock and Hogan, um, yeah, they had this nice moment in the ring, but what if Hogan got into a semi in the next segment and drove into his truck and took I, out I, the Rock? I have confidence that they, they're not going to go overboard with something like this. They know, I think, the, the money pit that they're sitting on. All they have to do is just get to the match. But at the same time, I think this this period will can be very substantial for somebody like Darby Allen to have that spotlight on him. We know he's probably going to face Daniel Garcia coming up. This is a period where the spotlight is going to be put on him. And I think that's going to be Puck's job is to get people's attention on Darby Allen these next few weeks. And I think some physicality might be warranted. At least You know you who know, needs that, a promo is Darby, episode. though. Darby needs a oh, big yeah. promo. Absolutely. And I would do it, ne- honestly, I'd do it next week in Chicago, and it'd just be the lights are out, and boom, the spotlight is on, and Darby is sitting cross-legged in the ring. You know what he, he should do? He's cut a hell of a promo. You know what he should say? He should say, I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> I hate ice cream. <laughs> I like uh, goat goat milk. Ice cream. Those the buys are just <laughs> flying after that. Yes, the anti ice cream bar. Darby Allen. What the last thing on this for the pay per view itself, like what role do you see Sting having? You know, it's one where I think um I don't think he needs to accompany him ringside. Number one, it's a babyface, babyface situation. Uh Sting I don't think really adds anything to that dynamic. So the I The audience is gonna we- choose to, I mean, this is going to be very much like a, a more exa- a more giant version of Britt Baker and Red Velvet, where it's okay. Allen might be a babyface, but that crowd is going to be one way in that match. Certainly, yeah. But they're and not. That's gonna... fine. That's always a cool dynamic when you have that that kind of environment. But I don't think they'll boo, you know, Darby Allen. Like I think he is pretty beloved too. I think they're going to look at it as a super fight between two of their favorites, uh, but. I, I also don't think Stig needs to be there. I think it's going to be one of those where it's like dad drops son off at the pool and says, like, catch you later, you know? <laughs> I hope that exact scene happens where he <laughs> yeah. drives up, catch you later. Here's some lunch money. Hey, son, don't forget to go all out there tonight. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay, that's better than goat milk. Okay, we we are not. Uh, <laughs> is goat milk even this. a thing? I don't even know. Uh, I'm not. I'm never having a goat milk ice cream bar. I promise you that. I'm not a not an ice cream bar person myself. But our next segment to follow uh, to follow God, we had Miro. He's in a confessional. He forgives Fuego, but now he is after Eddie Kingston. <laughs> And he made it very clear what he's planning to do. I'm going to drag him to the river. He is the judgment. And a god will back me because I am the redeemer. And my wife will love me because I am the champion. Now bring me the mad king so I can break him. Whose wife appears on AEW first? Miro's or Punk's? Yeah, there it could be a race uh, of who's who gets there first. Um Certainly the seeds are being planted the most with Miro. It seems like everybody's trying to get their wife a, a job. But, you know, it's uh, – I think they're both welcome, honestly. Especially, like, with Miro, uh, Lana is excellent with him, completes the package. And, and April, Mendez, AJ Lee, whatever she's going to be called, uh, will be a huge, very welcome addition to that division as a wrestler. 
Ryan Nemeth, J.D. Drake, Cesar Bononi take on Darby Allen, John Moxley, and Eddie Kingston. On their way to the ring, we've got the contrast of Eddie Kingston stopping for a selfie while John Moxley looks like he's about to murder somebody. He just flies through the barricade. He's just all wound up. Moxley and Kingston, they double shoulder tackle Bononi, go through the break, heats on Moxley. Moxley then bites J.D. Drake on the buckle. Darby hits a code red off the buckle and then gets tripped by Avalon. So Sting steps in and Moxley and Kingston beat him down in the corner. Ryan Nemeth gets a chair. They beat the hell out of him. Darby flips to the stunner, coffin drop on J.D. Drake and Darby Allen gets the pin. I think the right person to get the fall here. Um, yeah, yeah, it was our first of two six mans. Really hot crowd. Um, I... You know, I really don't have much to say about the match otherwise. It it, it it felt pretty standard. A lot of it took place during commercial. And, you know, I, again, I think it accomplishes what it needed to do. Got these faces out there that everybody saw as superstars and gave Darby a win. And then Daniel Garcia jumps Darby uh, before Sting, Moxley, and Kingston return to the ring and he takes off. So it looks like something with Daniel Garcia and Darby, although it was not announced for either of the shows next week in Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, I think a decently strong win, likely strong win for Darby on on route to CM Punk. So, man, and Daniel Garcia just like, holy just Christ, dude! So Minoru Suzuki, he's added a speedball Mike Bailey for C four in Ottawa in September. What a run this guy is having! Yeah, his cage match is going to look like, um, it's it's probably bigger than like the the W the WWE two K twenty two roster cutting room floor sorry I lost my notes here the buy-in we got the announcement of the first nine of the 21 participants Nyla Rose Julia Hart Big Swole The Bunny Thunder Rosa Red Velvet Ty Conti Penelope Ford and Diamante and then Conti is with Marvez The Bunny interrupts calling the Dark Order losers and offers her a chance to join the HFO Guess what happened? She tore up the contract, so the bunny slaps her, and they got into a big pull-apart brawl. Well, that's insulting. Yeah, It's a waste of paper. Yes. I don't think every single match needs an angle to set it up. That's what I felt after this one. Um, I wouldn't disagree in this case. I mean, if the segment was good, I think we would feel differently. But this was simply not that good. It was pretty generic, uninspired you know, wrestling backstage segment. A video aired for FTR. It's Dax. He says he doesn't know if they'll be coming back full time or what, but they need to have one more match. And then Cash Wheeler walks into the screen. He doesn't know if he'll ever be the same, but they're coming for a pound of flesh. And if you go to my Twitter, I will be showing you a pound of my own flesh. That's what he should have said, yeah. Uh, I, you know, when he said, oh, uh, my hands, the nerves in my hand aren't firing the way they should. I was like, okay, that's cute. You know, a little pro wrestling talk. Good for you. Kind of emphasizing and exaggerating the injury. After seeing that photo, I I believe it. Um, that was pretty nasty. And if he says his arm might never be 100% again, I, oh, God. I could believe it. Uh, it it's... I can't not I cannot not think about that photo now. Was this worse than uh 
Matt Tremont and Matthew Justice? Yeah, actually, it was. Because I didn't get a close-up like that, you know, of the fork being stuck in the man's Your description head. was way too vivid. It was unsettling. Well, I try. But, um, yeah, this, this one beats it. Kenny Omega comes out with Callis, Cutler, and Nakazawa with Shivani in the ring. And Callis starts cutting a promo, but they're they're cut off by Christian Cage who comes out. And they show the Road 2 footage where they they got Lance Storm for this. Because Lance Storm, he can send in videos for AEW. Uh, Tony Condello, who was featured here. So the story is that Christian Cage got booked in Winnipeg when Don Callis was booking there. And also the featured performer... And fired him after one match. And Tony Condello asked him after why he got rid of this guy. And Kenny o- and Don Callis explained, I've got this guy, Kenny Omega. And Condello saying, that guy's 10 years old. So Cage, back in the ring now, has really gotten this carny piece of shit line over. Because the whole crowd starts chanting, piece of shit. And Don Callis is fuming at this. And tells Christian that Kenny was better at the age of 10 than Cage is now. So they, I don't know if this was just the footage that Tony Condello sent in where the punchline is. He was 10 years old. But they're hitting you over the head that it was like, this was in 96 and Kenny was 10. It's like, Kenny Omega was born in 1983. So the math is very off here. And something is incorrect. I, I didn't realize that. Hmm. Yeah, Condello must have screwed up the... The math, I'm I wondering guess. if Condello just sent them this footage and he was like, and the punchline, he said he was 10. I was like, well, yeah, we know how old Kenny Omega was. He was not 10 years old in 1996. This is weird. Some weird like uh, Mandela effect stuff here. You know, like yeah. the, the, where's the math in all of this? Wait a second. So so this this took place in 96, they said? The, ma- the, the footage that they had, they said was 1996. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes no sense. Um I I will be honest in saying I didn't think about it that deeply as as I was watching this stuff. Um, Ten does feel <laughs> like it's really odd, and I know that they're trying to figure out a way to like you know. In the end, this is all for Christian versus Kenny Omega. Um, it's a bit of a stretch to say that you didn't book a guy because you have your eye on a ten year old, um, but. You know, it's a way to tie this whole story in and, and add some extra layers to this uh, real-life connection that these two had. So the promo continued with Callus explaining that this is nepotism. He compares himself to Bill Watts, Eddie Graham, Vince McMahon, and Vern Gagne. But Kenny is not Eric Watts, and he's not Greg Gagne. This is Kenny Omega. Cage says that Callus is still manipulating Kenny as an adult, and Kenny comes in and says, you think you know me? You think you know me? Yeah. So we got, yeah. we got every version of uh, Edge and Christian's themes over the past week between both we didn't programming. Get, we didn't get the Rob Zombie theme. No, no. But as a team, we got the two. Right. Okay. Yeah. Callis says that Cage has always been second best. Which is a hell of an endorsement for the guy on the other show. They attack Cage. They spray him in the eyes with the cold spray until Frankie Kazarian runs in with a pipe to clear the ring. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the hype for this match suddenly feels very overshadowed by so much else that's going on. Dynamite and AEW itself. But... I I think it's still being built up to be 
a worthwhile semi-main event. You know, there are attempts here to make this story feel more real and more personal, but depending on how much you think about it, it's it might actually make it less believable. Um, I think, to me, this peaked certainly when Christian won the Impact Championship. You know, um, can they get it back to that level afterwards? Uh, maybe, but... I, I'm maybe. pretty confident in the match. I think it's. I think this crowd will be very hot for it. It's. I, I would put it somewhere like mid middle of the show, maybe you know, maybe a little past the midway point. Yeah, I mean, is that is that what you want though for a world championship match? I mean, this should like in some circles, this should be a main event. If they close title. the show with this, they're out of their mind. Oh, exactly. No, in this case, you do not. But still, it should feel as important as the main event. Um. Yeah, I, I, I would maybe almost like like to see them circle back more to how much it means for Kenny to not have that title. You know, it is the one belt that is missing from his collection now. And well, they're not. With it. They they are not making it clear if this Impact belt is at stake here. They're You're really right. making it's... this about the AEW Championship. And I get the impression the Impact title is not on the line here. It it is not. You're right, but it would lead to him getting a rematch. Like, I mean, I, I want to hear Kenny sell the loss of, of that championship a little bit more. We talked about all the possibility of him potentially, if he would have lost to Andrade at Triple Mania, Kenny could have taken a more serious edge to the character. Uh, no pun intended with, with his uh, reference in this promo, but he could have been a bit more serious uh, about it, and we could have seen a next-level Kenny Omega heading into this match with Christian. Instead, I still feel like we're getting goofy, you know, cartoony Kenny Omega. So... Yeah, I think like the you think you know me line, that's like it's cute, but I don't know if it really fits the the situation of where you're going. Moxley is in the back. He got the FedEx back from Japan, but only one guy signed, and you know who it wasn't. But the person that did sign, Kojima, comma, Satoshi. And Moxley is insulted that this old man wants to challenge him. He's got a death wish. And once the bell rings, I have no respect for you. I'm going to put a hole through your esophagus and force you to eat through a straw. And a public execution will be going down on September the 5th. And then he bows towards the camera. Yes. So uh, I took this to be his tease towards a Tanahashi match at some point. Uh, But instead, we're getting second place. Third place, fourth place, fifth place, maybe tenth place. This is down there. I mean, there's going to be people who'll be like, "Oh, this is this is awesome." No. It's it's no. it's like you teased Tanahashi, and listen, it was stuff that was, I guess, out of their control. Tanahashi's doing the MetLife Dome, but you teased it. You teased it on TV, and you set the expectation level that you know a Kojima. This certainly feels like this is New Japan. Here's our make good. Um, we're sending Kojima. It's a good dynamite opener, the way that the Nagata match was a good dynamite opener. Uh, but it's not a match I think anybody really thinks of for a pay per view. Um, not to say this pay per view needs this at all. It's being sold on CM Punk versus Darby Allen, and that's really all you need. But nonetheless, like, it does not feel worthy, I would say, of a pay per view stage. Doesn't mean the match won't be great. I'm just simply talking about my anticipation and I think the the importance of it. If you cannot get Tanahashi, I think obviously the name everybody has been batting around recently is Minoru Suzuki. But unfortunately, that timing doesn't quite work out either. No, no. 
So then our next six man was the Gun Club. Billy, Austin, and Colton against QT Marshall, Nick Camaroto, and Aaron Solo. And we've got Paul White on commentary as QT was just getting heat and making gestures towards White throughout the match. They destroyed Austin, who just sells and sells throughout this. Billy and Camaroto do a double clothesline on the floor. QT stops the Colt 45 by Colton. And then Paul White gets up from his chair, distracting QT, who gets a, uh, caught in an inside cradle by Colton Gunn in five minutes and 50 seconds. So the, the distraction finish makes its way here onto this episode of Dynamite. Man, this did this, did this match no favors heading into the pay-per-view. I mean, already, I think, you talk about like something that doesn't belong on All Out. This thing, this feud sticks out like a sore thumb, and the booking here just didn't make sense either. If anything, QT really needs these wins, okay, to at least give him some chance of maybe looking like a threat. Um, uh, crowd was pretty quiet, I would say, for this entire thing. Booking was kind of weird and really kind of gave me no more interest or confidence in, in this QT Marshall big show, Paul White match on a pay-per-view. Yeah, it's, um, I, I can't say this program is very hot. And I would say the only heat they had for this was invoking Tony Schiavone's son, which should have some kind of emotional uh, effect on, you know, fans of Schiavone and Paul White coming to the rescue. To me, that was completely overshadowed by... Malachi huh. Black now going after Arn's son, which is a way more a uh, higher priority. And you're you've got Paul White and QT at the end of this, and yeah, it can be short at the pay per view, but this is I don't know. It, it feels like a TV match, or at, at worst, do the Paul White match at, at a time where it makes a a bit more sense. Um, this just felt like a. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to this. I think this was a pretty, you know, stale portion of the show. He's got to pull out a moonsault. That'll save it. I, with that hip, I, I, I don't need to see the man do a moonsault uh, for his own good. Then we go backstage to Dan Lambert with the men of the year, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. And Dan Lambert did as much of a, a Jim Cornette promo from like 1986 here. He just went. There was no way I could keep up with this. He calls AEW a dumpster fire of a promotion. He says the rule of business is know your customers and give them what they want. But then he just turns on the fans, calling them mindless millennials who are tricked into eating chicken shit. They're not real men. He mocks Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy. Real men stand up to the woke masses. And then he calls Sky a martial artist. Ethan Page a double black belt. <laughs> there were way too many lines in here, but my God, uh, dude, this guy's delivery was just next level. Um, I mean, this guy was made for being a heel manager. I mean, if this guy was around in 1975, he probably would have been the hottest manager that could go to every single territory he wanted. I I feel like if he had dedicated himself to pro wrestling, absolutely, he might have been one of the best. I think he still shows maybe some of the inexperience here because like when he these are very well written promos, but I feel like he comes across still very much like a guy like regurgitating a written promo, very well rehearsed, but nonetheless like he kind of rushes through and it really feels like it's more like a guy reading or at least memor reading something he's memorized than a guy who convincingly delivers these words from the heart. Um 
I I liked the I thought it was re- really well written, but I still don't really like the association. They did what you suggested last week, John, by bringing up Scorpio Sky's MMA background, and I guess Ethan Page's car- like real life Karate Man. Um, I'm I'm assuming he's a real life martial artist, and I I, I think that makes sense. But this not it's still a really loose connection to you know the American Top Team head coach, and. I also don't think they're a duo that needs it because Ethan Page is already one of the best talkers in the company. And Lambert kind of taking up that screen time just seems to take away from something that I want to see Ethan Page do on his own. Um, So, I mean, ultimately, they need to get people on TV and they have this resource in Dan Lambert that they, I suppose, you know, wanted to pair with somebody to get them on TV. But I don't really think it's a good fit. Yeah, it it is an odd fit that they are somewhat uh just trying to get these three all aligned together um i I think he's a good promo um there's there's a utilization for this guy um we'll see where it goes from here uh friday on rampage uh we won't give out the results here ty conti versus the bunny jurassic express versus the lucha brothers and kenny omega and brandon cutler versus kazarian and cage uh if you want to see the uh or what the steel cage match will be uh there is a story up on the main page of the site now you can go check and then next wednesday uh their first of three nights next week in chicago at the now arena they have announced brian cage versus powerhouse hobbs Orange Cassidy versus Jack Evans and FTR against Santana and Ortiz in the return of FTR uh, coming back since their, their first match since the injury. So a big match with the tag team. See how that arm holds up, man. Uh, I, every, anytime you mention FTR or Cash Wheeler now, I just, I just can't not think of that. And then Jim Ross will interview Jericho next Wednesday and Shivani interviews MJF as well. Final segment, we have uh, Arn Anderson interviewed in the back. He says, Brock is in over his head. He's an Anderson. He's got guts. And I'm going down with my son either way. So Malachi Black makes his big entrance, followed by Brock Anderson. Arn is out there in his corner. I thought Arn was just, he's great. He is just great in any role they, they place him in. He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I will... S- because we had 18 years of this man strictly behind the scenes, it means for the next however long, every single time he's in a great segment, I'm going to bring up the fact that for 18 years, this man was relegated to being behind the scenes and not on camera every week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. Yeah. No. Like- Tonight's role was concerned father, and he was excellent. Brock starts the match with a double leg takedown, but then eats a big knee and Malachi Black just starts ripping at this guy in the corner. Stomps, punches, kicks. It's just looking bad for young Brock. Malachi Black stares at Arn Anderson, who will not throw in the towel. Black tells him to do it, and then Brock fights back. Black hits him with an exploder. Black comes or Brock comes up and he's got some blood on his forehead. And then Malachi Black nails him with the black mass. And this is the trouble with Malachi, with Malachi Black is that this is such an impressive move. And the result of this to the sun getting leveled with this finish, they all cheered. They start chanting one more time and there were dudes getting up for a standing ovation for Malachi Black. Oh, he's too cool. Yeah, so, that kick is too cool. 
he waits and then he pins Brock in 227. Arn runs in to check on his son and Black gets a chair. And in the, the ring he goes. He goes to hit Arn with a black mask, but Arn has trained defense. Maybe he's been working out with uh, Muay Thai legend Ethan Black. Ethan, oh. Ethan Page. <laughs> Ethan Page. Uh, I thought you were going to say Duke Rufus in the front row. It could have been. Uh, well, we know Malachi Black is, I think, Team Rufus' sport after, after today. Mm. Yes, they were training together. Yeah. So he blocks it, and then Black hits a low blow, and then hits the Black Mass. I know some people are going to complain that it was like, Arn blocked this or whatever, but let's go back to the finish. That thing was treated like a total babyface move. And when they did it this way with the low blow, you got, and it was Arn, crowd, yeah. totally different reaction. It was the okay. desired reaction. They they were pissed that he went to that level and took out Arn with a low blow and the black mask. So I had no issue with it. The ending the segment on a low blow, I thought, yeah, was was absolutely brilliant. And I think it was the right thing to do to turn out uh, Malachi Black back into a heel. The issue is... How can Arn Anderson block this move? That to me does not make sense. Okay, like he he's supposed even though yeah you can say like oh former wrestler like whatever such and such like four horsemen whatever sure but in AEW he is a defenseless old man who should not be able to block a move from your deadliest striker in the company. That took me out of it, and I don't think it was necessary. You could have gotten to the low blow a different way. Well, he's laid out. We've got father and son next to one another. And Lee Johnson is the one that runs out as Black exits the ring. And that looks to be the direction where I would imagine like Lee Johnson is more competitive with with Black than Brock was, but ultimately falls to him because all of this seems lined up for Cody's return when he's ready to come back. But interesting that Mm -hmm. they're going with, with Lee Johnson. Well, I think we're just serving up like, you know, Nightmare Family members to, to Malachi Black feeding everybody to him until that Cody rematch. Um, so They've got to do that, Dustin. Like, Dustin needs to be yeah. a vicious beatdown. Totally. And Dustin will take that beatdown really well. That'll be fantastic. But uh, it's going to be a few weeks before we get to there. Um, I think, man, you know, despite Malachi Black getting cheered for the Black Mass, ultimately it's a positive result because people like him. You ultimately want to see, you want people to want to see him. And he felt like a big deal from entrance to, you know, ending the show. He just feels at this point like top guy in this company. So um, all in all, I, I thought Dynamite was good. I absolutely felt like it peaked from the Punk segment after the first hour. Second hour, I was not actually a big fan of their, you know, uh, compared to Dynamite standards. But I think all the important stuff here with Punk and with All Out and even with Malachi Black was pretty strong overall. Yeah, I, I didn't think this was on the uh, the higher level uh, of Dynamites. I think that there was a lot of anticipation for Punk, and I thought that segment was was really strong. I think certainly the second hour, I think, was more of a slog, especially by Dynamite standards. Um, with this show coming in with like a lot of of intrigue and excitement uh, for, for the product, and it seemed like a lot of time was dedicated to kind of some of like the lower pay per view matches or ones that are, aren't even. Like not really the the focused um, the big programs. That's kind of what hour two felt like, and things peaked with Punk. Right. All right. Well, let's go and 
get some of your feedback. And tonight's Dynamite, a 5.27, which would definitely be on the low end of Dynamite ratings of late. Uh, Really, ever, I would say. Wow, let's see what you guys thought. Let's start with Mark here. Uh, Mark writes, an oddly booked episode. All the players were there, just very out of order. Punk was 10 out of 10 again, especially for the -the on-the-fly Danielson tease. Rest of the show was pretty flat and average, something no Dynamite has really felt like before. No problem with the squash main event, but should have been more dominant and brutal. I think you want to, if we are playing this out, I think you do want to kind of build up to that. And if you do that with Dustin, I think that's the big destruction that should be the final straw that brings back Cody uh, at some point. I I can see that. I also had no issue either with uh, a shorter main event and changing it up. And I would also wonder, like, if they're looking strictly at that's what tonight's show called for versus the fact that this audience has to stay up for another hour with, with rampage coming up. And what do we do in this, this main event slot? And over time, I'm sure we'll see a variation to that formula because I mean, it's going to be the typical schedule will be dynamite immediately followed by rampage tapings. I thought it was like brutal enough. Like, Maybe, I don't know, like, should, should there have been blood or something? Like, I don't think it could have been a quick 30-second match. It is the main event. I think you still want to come out of it with a little bit of shine for Brock Anderson. You know, he's a big-time underdog. But the fact that he showed enough heart to, you know, even take the t- take the, the match and to char- be able to charge and get a little bit of offense on Alistair, I think you needed a bit of that. But in the end, it's like it. he got knocked out in front of his dad, and he knocked his dad out. So I feel like it was pre- pretty brutal and dominant on already. Maybe this is going to send Brock down a dark path now. Oh. Okay. What do you think? I don't know. Guy mm-hmm. failed in in hor- uh, horrific fashion. Yeah. Could change him. Well, it is his first match. He's got many to come. Uh, okay, my turn. We go to Jesse, who says, Not a good episode of Dynamite. I thought they would give CM Punk the last 15 minutes and just let him talk. They asked him one question, and that was it. Three of the matches on here could have been dark matches. Lee Johnson coming out for the save at the end did nothing for me, and the crowd was not a good way, and the crowd, and was not a good way to end the show. Whatever happened to the pinnacle? Until they showed that FTR promo, I had forgotten the pinnacle was even a thing. This show will be mostly forgettable. The only thing I will remember will be CM Punk's line that someone else just st- stick. Have some more patience. Five out of ten show for me. All right. I mean, so the pinnacle, show- it's like you know, one of the guys has been injured for several weeks now. So that's kind of taken FTR out. MJF is all over the place. He's in one of the featured programs. And Wardlow just faced Jericho three weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, this is like, like, listen, folks, it's math. Like, look at the the amount of people they have. Not everybody's getting on. Like, that is the formula of AEW that you might be featured today and then you get dialed back. It's like, that's just going to be it. Well, the focus tonight was on All Out and all the people that have matches coming up at All Out. And um, that does not involve other members of the Pinnacle. It does involve QT Marshall. Um, does involve Darby Allen, does involve, you know, Chris Statlander. Um, do you want to go through the card right now, John? We yeah, have nine matches. let's take a look at the, uh, I've got the updated card here. So, uh, we have got, 
One second here. Okay. I could start. So, All right. Go ahead. With, well, I'll just mention the 21-woman casino battle royale, which uh, we have only a few members' names so far, but that those include Nyla Rose, Thunder Rose... Thunder Rosa, The Bunny, Big Swole, Julia Hart, Ty Conti, Diamante, Penelope Ford, Red Velvet, and 12 other women to be determined. Then Kenny Omega and Christian Cage for the AEW Championship. Pac versus Andrade, which I think there's a lot of focus on that match uh, to deliver. QT Marshall versus Paul White. The Young Bucks defending the AEW Tag Titles in a Steel Cage match. CM Punk versus Darby Allin. Chris Jericho versus MJF with Jericho's career on the line in AEW. And uh, then Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander and John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima. So nine matches so far. This is filling up fairly quickly. I mean, there aren't too many more slots to fill in for a three-hour pay-per-view. And then the, well, we know the Battle Royale will be on the buy-in. Man, I, I really do shudder to think how much, like, what more can they add? Do we need a 10-match ten, ten card? Like, can they fit a 10-match card here? Like, I mean, all the main else? players are pretty much accounted for now. I guess the question would be Miro and Eddie Kingston, mm-hmm. if they're going to go ahead with that or save it. Um, those are the major. That, that's, right. that would be one of the larger programs of characters that are unaccounted for. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Punk and Allen is going to be the, the top, top draw. They're putting a whole lot, lot of storyline and TV time between Kenny Omega and Christian Cage. So by the time that match occurs, I mean, it's Kenny Omega on a pay-per-view. So uh, I think that'll be a, uh, you know, heavily anticipated just on, on the night of. Pac Andrade is uh, is going, you know, has the potential to be a great in-ring match. But it's more so curious to see what Andrade can bring against a guy who should be a surefire thing you know, towards having a great match in pack. Um, Bucks versus whoever in a cage is going to be awesome. You know that. Jericho, MJF, it all depends on how well they can convince us about this stipulation because I look forward to some of those near falls potentially being quite loud. And then Kojima, Moxley, I I don't think that needs to go more than seven, maybe. You know, like a bit of a showcase match for Moxley that I don't necessarily think belongs on a pay-per-view, but it's a Moxley match. You probably want to get his face out there. And then Baker, Statlander, how much time do you think that gets? I think they got to go at least 10, 10 to 12. Which yeah, I, I actually think good. Moxley and Kojima probably goes at least that as well. Yeah. It's, which which know, is, the- again, a reason why, like with all these, these matches that I think are going to get a lot of time, it's like, in theory... Like, I'm not opposed to, like, a QT Paul White that you kind of just throw in there to be something quick. Um, like, I, I don't hate that that kind of idea of matchmaking, uh, throwing it in somewhere. But, um, yeah. I don't like, think you need it at all. But, I mean, we'll see what they do. They could have a big surprise attached to it, maybe a big return or something like that. Um, people in the chat room talking about Ruby Soho being a potential uh, person coming in to win the Battle Royal would make a lot of sense. So, um, I again, it's it's Punk versus Allen that's going to sell this thing. It probably will probably you know help this thing break records, no matter what else they put on the show. But it's not like a bad show. The rest of it, it's just not really. I wouldn't say it was like it's top to bottom. You know, on paper, looks to looking to be one of their best. Yeah, I I think this is going to be like you know, Omega and Christian's going to be excellent. Pack and Andrade is. I, I just have a real hard time imagining that's not that's not great. 
uh, with Pac involved. Uh, the steel cage match is going to be phenomenal. Um, Punk and Darby is going to be everyone's focus, and I think the atmosphere is going to be incredible for that. Um, I think I think it looks like a pretty good show, and I guess we will see with two nights in Chicago uh, to to build it up as well. What do you think about this this strategy, like Punk or no Punk? The idea this this strategy of doing three nights in the next week in Chicago. Clearly, there's uh, enough demand for it, and um, they're really kind of riding the CM Punk wave. Uh, Dynamite and Rampage are not sold out yet, right? But what what are they sold at? Like a healthy prop? Would you say a healthy, successful, profitable amount? It's it, it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're making a whole lot of money without having to you know drive their gear too far away, uh, in, in or in the case of the Now Arena, not anywhere at all. Um, so I think it's it's a matter of maybe efficiency as well as fulfilling the demand that's in that market. So uh, to me, it makes a little difference. I'm watching at home on TV, but to them, that live gate is probably significant. I guess we, we didn't mention this in the news, uh, but Fightful reporting the fact that the the extension that Adam Cole signed is up on Friday. And I can see, you know, his status being up in the air, adding some buzz next week as well for people. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. The final question, Way, before we sign off. Sunday, Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Now that we're here, Way, did this one reach your world? Did this did this grab you? I I will admit, like I didn't even know it was actually happening. Um, despite reviewing that segment on Monday, I I didn't really realize it was this weekend. But I always have a sick curiosity to at least check out, you know, a little bit of it through. Uh, Twitter or something like that. So uh, if I'm around and free, then I'll probably do do a bit of that. How about you? I don't. I don't think I'll be watching. I don't know if I'm going to be home on Sunday. So that's. Uh, I, I probably am not going to be seeing it. I'm. I'm more interested in this fight certainly than I was in the Ben Askren fight. I also feel that fight. By this time for for that fight, I felt like there was so much more um, hype for it. Which I mean, who knows? But come come Sunday, maybe this feels like it's a you know a, a curious fight that enough people are, are going to buy. But I don't know. I don't I don't sense it to the degree that the Triller Show did for Askren and, and Jake Paul. Well, let me ask you, okay? Because Jake Paul is the favorite, right? Yes. If Tyron Woodley loses to Jake Paul, does that affect his MMA value at all? It affects his body because he has to get a tattoo. <laughs> right did he actually agree like he, he agreed on camera he would do it <laughs> so he can't he can't go back on that can he you're right wow okay i mean those but are the as... stakes i mean woodley you know candidly like his his mma career like is kind of he could continue like in his last ufc fight when he looked his best as he had in numerous performances like he had a real fall there starting with the usman loss but you know, he can still be competitive with a certain level of welterweights. He is not a championship-level fighter anymore. Um, and his contract expired. It was not a case of them cutting him. But I, I would say more than more than anything, it's how this, this fight performs that is going to lead to whether Tyron Woodley pops up elsewhere um, and they see him as, you know, this this fight, it's... Like, if it garners that interest, I think you're going to have, you know, I, I would certainly expect, like, a Bellator that's in that Showtime family to maybe have an interest in using Tyron Woodley. 
All right. Well, we shall see what happens. All right. We're going to call it a day. Thanks to everybody for joining us tonight on Rewind to Dynamite. Friday night. What's happening, Way? I will be with the returning Kate from Montreal to talk about Rewind a Smackdown and Rewind a Rampage and talking to all of you, taking all your calls on the week in pro wrestling. So join us then while John Pollock enjoys some much-deserved time away. And with that, we will say goodbye, and we will speak with you way later this week, me, sometime in the future. Goodbye, everyone. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.